Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Let's Do the Right Thing in association with RadioWorks. Presented and curated by Adam Hopkinson. This is the LDTRT podcast, brought in conjunction with Passion Media and Radio Works. It was set up to tell the story of leaders in the media industries, focusing on their journeys and their motivations. I launched a media agency last year, Passion, to focus on fashion, entertainment and leisure verticals, and I've had loads of great advice in my journey in doing so, and a lot of it, in fact, from guests on this podcast. And I am still on a mission to gather the best advice. I am delighted today to be speaking with Anson Sobey, where do we start, Anson? I mean, gaming at Vivendi, marketing at Jax, beautifully heeding the Jedi calling that you had and setting up Rocket XL, and then managing its sale to cassette, uh, then living out the dream as a grown-up Jedi and running the creative powerhouse of Battery. Battery, by the way, I cannot hear the name of your agency without my brain going off into a Metallica riff. Um, you also managed the sale of part of the business to have us, so I guess today... There's a clear focus on exits for business and what it means. Anyway, hello. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for calling me a grown-up Jedi. I don't think I've ever been uh, called that before. So that's an honor. When did you recognize the Jedi in you? And, and what made you figure that you wanted to set something up? You know, it's interesting. Even though I was on the, I started my career on the corporate side at a couple of pretty big companies, you know, with Vivendi and, and Universal Pictures and Universal Studios, and then uh, Jack Specific on the toy side, even though they were pretty big, you know, multinational companies, they, the divisions I was in didn't function like your big traditional corporate divisions. They functioned like small businesses within a bigger empire, just to keep our Star Wars references going. The way the leaders did things, I guess it just started to infuse it in me. And, and looking back, not that we'll talk about my childhood, but going back really quickly, my dad was uh, an entrepreneur and my mom was a TV director. So I guess I kind of had it in me as a kid, but it was really brought out of me from from my two bosses in the corporate world that that, that just acted so uh, entrepreneurial within the these larger organizations. I'd imagine that's probably the best way to start out because, you know, the younger that you are in your career, the more absorbent you are for learning every, everything around you. And it's probably at that point that you should be entrepreneurial and figuring out and understanding everything rather than taking it on later in life. Who do, who do, you, who do you credit the most in, in, your, in, your, in the, the origin of that from your parents then? The entrepreneurial side from your dad or from your mum? Oh, I guess probably a little bit of both. I mean, my mom, so my mom is a, a TV sitcom director in the 80s. She directed shows like The A-Team, 
what's happening, uh, LA Law. And so, yeah, I actually got babysat like on the set of the 18. But it was interesting, you know, and I didn't obviously fully realize it as a seven and eight year old, but it was hard for her as a, as a, as a female director, you know, in the mid 80s. It's not like how it is today. So I, I do remember my mom talking about, you know, taking a lot of crap from, you know, uh, people, things like that. And and before that, my mom was a, a an ABC news reporter. I remember seeing footage of like these famous, famous older men, like belittling her as a f- young female news reporter. And thank God we're in a different world today. So I guess I just kind of saw my mom have that, like, don't take no for an answer and breaking these, these glass ceilings. And obviously I didn't realize it as a, as a kid, but I think it's just, it, it just created that bedrock deep down, you know, within me. Obviously, I, 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 you know, I haven't been able to interview President Reagan and and Bob Hope like my mom, but you know, it 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 did put me on that path. That is pretty awesome. So, were you the coolest kid in school then, or with your mum being director <laughs> of the the A team, which we all loved growing up? You know, I guess I would have been cool if I had invi- could invite my friends to set, but I had no pull. I was told to sit in the corner, shut up, kid, be quiet. So, yes, my friends knew, and that was before social media. So I guess I couldn't really share it. So I missed out on being the cool kid. That's that's what I would have should have done back then. And then because uh, I'm coming full circle back into your, your, your career now that you are you're still delivering entertainment through to the youth audiences in the U.S., you know, did, did, it was was that kind of planned? Do you think was it was it was it preset for you? Well, so we we, we originally started Battery as an advertising agency for the gaming industry. At, at that time, the games industry was really undergoing the revolution that is obviously complete now, but moving away from the way people bought games. Right back then, it was you would you would go to the store and buy a physical disc, and obviously now it is transitioned to. I mean, I don't know whoever buys discs anymore, but a full digital download. And so we saw the need to change the way games were marketed because back then they were marketed like movies these kind of big tentpole releases you have to drive as many disc sales in six weeks as you could and then a transition to more evergreen almost like a procter and gamble unilever way of trying to drive evergreen so so we originally did build it for games and then it, it took on a life of its own that we would not have been able to plan but yeah originally it was built to 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 answer the the, the transition in the games industry See, I, I think it's really interesting that you're talking about that because my, my, my background is in gaming. I mean, we, we, we talked about this beforehand that, you know, I, I worked at an agency called Target Media, which uh, was a gaming agency in the UK, which also sold a, a big stake and then finally fully sold out to Havas. Um, so similar journey. I love the simplicity of your model of classic marketing principles and Silicon Valley innovation along with Hollywood storytelling. Have the classic marketing principles stayed in play? in the gaming industry that has changed so much or is it just the way that they're executed that's changing uh that yeah that's a really good question yeah it's 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 probably both right because uh and that's why i was bringing up the you know let's say let's say the way that procter and gamble has been marketing the razor razor blade you know forever and and that model of you know buy the razor once and then keep buying the razor blades as you run out of them obviously it's a very rudimentary simple example you know as games again you know what started out as downloadable content just became the model all about monetizing it from a daily weekly annual basis so then you know we saw that you needed to bring the the traditional consumer packaged goods 
principles and and the the way so it it basically it didn't replace the way games were marketed it just became additive so then games needed to be marketed with an entertainment lens so storytelling and and great content and great trailers and story reveals and announce and and things like that and then needed to be marketed via the razor razor blade do, do you think the um the, the digitization of gaming though has changed the way that people think about it because you know, I, I used to go buy games from HMV or Virgin Megastore and things. And obviously, they're, they're not stopped there anymore. Um, and HMV is hardly on any high streets. And, you know, people are only, or myself, actually, as an end of one here, only buying online. My son only buys um, um, DLC content. So all, all of his platforms now, he's not got any box product of anything anywhere. And I wonder then that if the, the digitization of the the industry and the way that it is traded and dealt has changed some of the other more um, human aspects of gaming. I mean, there's a big change that happened this year with E3 not happening next month. Do do you think that that's got anything to do with the fact that there are less people involved in a transaction in gaming now? So the expo of E3 does not need the people there. Yeah, no, no, I I, I totally agree. I I just think Back when when E3 was at its height, I don't know, call it 10, 15 years ago, you know, I just don't think there were the digital tools that were available to one, you know, give press, you know, exclusive access, you know, to games, obviously, to then give uh, consumers access to games. I think the I think the game awards, you know, that are now happening every December, I think that's largely changed E3. You look at the game awards last December and I feel like they announced about 40 new games at the Game Awards. That was always done at E3. So I feel like I feel like you know Jeff Keighley and the Game Awards has definitely eaten the lunch of E3 to a big extent, and and I think just the cost became uh, exorbitant. I think also you know COVID uh, really hurt that of getting a lot of people together. So it just feels like it was it was a, it was a confluence of a lot of different things that finally potentially put the nail in the E3 coffin, which is a shame. I loved E3 as well, and you know it was it was always. I mean, I don't. I've got sorry to, to say it's your hometown. I mean, I don't like LA very much, but what I did like was the. Um, I liked E3, and I and I liked being able to come over, and I, and I liked the fact that you know we had to fly three and a half thousand miles, whatever it is, to get there. But when we were there, there were an awful lot of deals that were done because you were there face to face, and I'm going to miss that. You know, I really enjoyed it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Will you be heading over to Germany uh, this August for Gamescom? Yeah, I, I definitely will. And that's actually a great point. I, it's interesting that Gamescom has continued to be strong and, and GDC has continued to be strong. So I think a lot of the deal making that happened in E3 is probably now happening at GDC and, and Gamescom. So oh, I, yeah, exactly. And I, and I hope it carries on because, you know, I still believe that, 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 that we're in a human um, uh, industry and that people buy people and all the while that we can talk to other people, then the business will be good and fine. And it's why we join, right? It's sociable, it's fun, and it's awesome. Fingers crossed it carries on. I guess that you're also, um, given what you said about your parents, your dad being entrepreneurial and your mum being, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I've gone a little bit fanboy here, I'm afraid, you know, director of um, the A-Team, which to me has just got to be the coolest thing that you can ever put on your um, on your CV, that your parents fully understand what you are doing. And I've always struggled with mine and with, with other people's, with theirs, about being able to explain exactly what they do. But, but you have the luxury, I guess, of, your folks understanding yeah they, they they definitely did and after this i'll email you a picture of me and mr t when i was a little kid he used to let me hold his ak-47s his fake guns and he put his gold chains on me so i'll send you a picture <laughs> please do i mean it genuinely um and, uh, and i and i love that they that they that they were um, influential in, in your upbringing and they were in the entertainment space and they brought you through now, did they go through any of the similar kind of processes in in, in their careers they're clearly influential um, so when you were getting to the point of setting things up and then selling them, how did you, did they, were they there for support for that? Did they understand the industry and how it worked and what you needed to go through? Because you've had two interesting exits so far that, well, that, that I could find about. There might be more. No, no, no. Just those two, you know, unfortunately my father passed away, so he didn't get to get to see that, but I was able to help him. Uh, he, he was a, a small business owner. I was able to help him exit his business uh, shortly before he died and set that up for my mom and her retirement. And then the people who we found to help him exit his business were the people that we hired to exit my first business. So it, it, it definitely, you know, he was unfortunately already passed away by then, but it definitely serendipitously, you know, had a, a real uh, uh meaningful you know influence uh, on 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 how i went about that the first time the um the podcast is, is is largely about um setting people on the the path to doing the right thing but the paths do come to an end and you know that that end for for has got to be in everybody's mind about what do they actually get out of doing this how did you find going through the process of managing exits? We talked to a lot of people about how they start things up and how they get things going. We haven't spoken to very many people yet about how they deal with the end and how they make that happen. How did you find it all? You know, it's, it's interesting. So <clears throat> I, I, I didn't realize how much of an emotional roller coaster it would be, right? Because it's, it's so many different things. One, you feel like you're selling your baby and then you think, well, am I selling too early? Am I selling too late? Is this the right time? You know, and then in our case, the, the first time around we went through an earnout. So we sold a certain percentage upfront and then sold the rest 
over a few years and then sold the final thing to basically exit, you know, and then it's this period where, you know, you're maximizing the earnout. And I feel like we had the, the formula of the earnout almost up on the wall, metaphorically in the office. And you're thinking, you know, and it's, it's so time-based because in that case, we only had a few years to maximize the earnout. And I didn't realize just how the anxiety and the, the, the emotional stress of the timing of like, oh my God, I only have this year. And when this year is done, it's gone. I can't maximize it on the earth. When this year is done. So I, I just, I didn't realize how much pressure it would put on the business and me personally and partnerships. And it's really a tough, tough thing. You know, it, it, it again, it sounds stupid to say that because we're talking about selling businesses and this is amazing, but it's emotionally tough, which I had no idea would never have thought that going in because in my case it was not sell 100% and, and walk away not that that's not emotional but this kind of selling little by little over time was was a real stressor how did you cope with that did you get did you have support mechanics in place you know uh uh a lot of alcohol i'm kidding um so you know i think the 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 first time it definitely really really put a stress on the partnership i had with my my other partners, and so I said, okay, the second go around, and I I did it with a different partner. So Philip Kosid uh, is our chief creative officer, and he I, I just focused with him of thinking, all right, it's it's Phil and I against the world, you know, it's Phil and I and Battery against the world, and it helps to play that Metallica song, you know, when you think that, and if Phil and I at the top, if we aren't tight and on the same page and respecting each other, the the family is going to suffer. So I think I learned that how my partnerships did suffer that first go around. I said, all right, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stay tight with Phil. And it's easy to stay tight with him because he's an amazing guy. But I made a lot of mistakes the first go around and trying to correct those uh, the second go around. Well, absolutely, as everybody does. And, you know, and it, again, the podcast called Let's Do the Right Thing. So it's in the interest of doing the right thing. And you may not know it the first time around, but you still, you get there. But how, how did you deal with transition then of, um, of it being your business into being part owned by other people for the rest of the team and for the rest of the business. How, how do you, how do you lead them through that process of, of uncertainty? Yeah. So, so the, the, the day we, the, the day it was announced when we, we did the deal with Havas in June, 2019, when we sold that first upfront sake, we gathered all the, the staff together and we told them, we said, look, we could tell you that things aren't going to change. And don't worry, and it's going to be hunky-dory, and we're going to stay in the same path. But that would be a lie. That The whole reason why we did this deal is we, we want certain things to change. Sure, we want to hold on to certain aspects and not change, but we want other things to change. So we said, you know, bear with us. This journey is about trying to find that balance. You know, we want to maintain what's great about being an independent company, right? The spirit, the, the culture, the, the never-say-die attitude. But you want to shed what's really, really fucking difficult about being an independent company, right? You know, payroll, uh, legal, real estate, HR. So we said, all right, so let's lean on Havas for those things. Things are going to change. It's going to be a little bumpy. Bear with us. But this is our goal of how we're trying to find this right balance. Because I've just been in certain situations where people have stood up and said, nothing's going to change. It's going to be amazing. I'm like, well, then why would you ever do the deal if nothing's going to change? And you're lying, right? So, so you, you, you've done it once. Yeah, you've got fifty-one percent stake from Havas now. Um, can we talk about what the plans are for that? I don't know whether it's confidential at all, but will, will there be a full exit at some point? Or 
Uh, eventually, yes. And, 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 you know, I'm not being coy about it because we're still working that out with Havas. And I honestly think that our best, you know, years and our best time is, is ahead of us. And so, you know, we're still continuing on that and, and, you know, we're not, we're not wholly owned and it's, it's all about striking that perfect balance of obviously Havas has a controlling stake in battery, which is what we wanted to do. And so it's, it's just a continual process about striking that, that balance. But yes, theoretically, eventually at some point, you know, we will then, you know, come to the point where we're wholly owned by Havas and then we'll, we'll see what, what, what that chapter holds at, at that point. But, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's still, still a ways off. Is there any kind of thought in your head about it, it being full circle? Are you having an early part of your career at Vivendi and coming back in and Vivendi being part of the Havas group? Or, or is it the other way around, actually? No, 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 you're, you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's surreal. But yes, Vivendi owns uh, the Havas group. Yeah, and so my first job out of college, I went to work at you know Universal Pictures and Vivendi had just basically bought uh, parts of Universal and spun us off. And so the Universal Video Games Group, which was called Universal Interactive Studios, Vivendi then had a major focus on games. And then so they then, you know, helped us grow from eight people to 300 people. So yeah, it's 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 very I ironic that that uh, I, I come back home to the French. I can't avoid the French. And how does it feel running the agency now? You know, that having been through a couple of exits, is it, does it change your, your way of thinking? Are you, I mean, ha, ha, where, where are you at now in your head? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good question. Um, you know, I, to be honest, like anything, there's the good days, the bad days, the ups, the downs. I'd say the biggest thing that I'm trying to work on now, not that this is a therapy session, but you know, it, it's so tough for me personally that you know, when battery's up, I'm up emotionally, right? When battery's having a down month or a down period, like every company goes up and down. My well-being can sometimes go down with it. And I'm trying to balance that out to where I'm not too high in the highs and I'm not, I'm not too low in the lows. But it's tough because a company is literally like your baby. It's like you you put all your soul and, you know, and, and financial and might and, you know, and it's tough to not, at least for me, it's tough not to drive myself, to, to unlink my self-worth from battery. And that's, that's, that is, I, I had no idea it would be that difficult but that's definitely something in terms of where my head is at it's great advice to you know to to to, to take the tops of the mountains and fill the valleys a little bit but it but it is yours and it is impossible to separate um you know your value from your business's value because at the very beginning it, it is you you know and it's you and maybe a couple of partners and it is very personal and also suddenly you open yourself up to a world where you um you are almost inviting feedback constantly and criticism and negativity and you know that's not necessarily the case on a personal basis it's a weird thing to get your head around when you when you start your own business because you know as you say you know all of the things that you don't want to be doing as a startup or as an entrepreneurial business put them into the mothership let them do all that you can't do it it's all you it's all you that's exactly right yeah, maybe there's a word of warning in there for, for people to just be, you know, if, if you're thinking about going out on your own and doing it, you know, think about the safety net that's in place and what it means to not have it. But anyway, that aside, you're enjoying it and you're happy and you're well, you're smiling, certainly. I am. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living the grown-up Jedi dream, as, as you said. You know, I, I can't complain running my business and, hey, you know, 
the the lows and the highs it's it's my it's my own making you know phil and i decided to to run this thing and you know we're we're lucky that we're surrounded by great people and i think that so that was a big difference in my headship the first go because we're a service-based company the first go around even in the beginning days of battery i made the mistake of where i thought clients are number one the most important thing is clients because clients pay the bills clients provide the revenue but there's no clients without the people. And that was a big shift that I actually credit to Phil. And it sounds so stupid. You're like, Anson, you're an entrepreneur. How could you not put the people first? You know, I I, I made that mistake earlier and I put the clients first and putting the people first. The the and, and I know it sounds like a cliche, but that was a real switch for me. I just I I I had it incorrect in the beginning, and luckily Phil helped, you know, switch me around to focus on the people. So I'm I'm lucky to be surrounded by so many people who are smarter and know how to do this, you know, so much better than I do. Um, I, I, and I agree in the, so, so one of the very early podcasters that we had on, on this series was Jonathan Durden, who is the D in PhD. And he said that clients will come and go, but if we can hold on to the people and take care of the people, then the business will be taken care of. And I kind of like that. It's really hard, but I like that. Put people first, people first, and then, it will deliver. Gotta have faith in them. You chose them for a reason, right? Yeah, that's great. He 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 knows what he's talking about. PhD has been pretty successful over the years. I did okay. He's going to listen to this, so we can't, we can't big him up too much. <laughs> I you said that yeah, this is not a therapy session. I do feel that these are sometimes because you know that it's really useful for me being on this journey of setting up my agency, and I'm a, I'm a year. In fact, I'm a year in pretty much to the day. Uh, and it's going brilliantly, and, and I need to be talking to people like you who've been through it, who have done it, um, to, to get your insight, to get your wisdom, um, and to know that it can be done, and that there is pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and your head does stay on the top of your shoulders. So thank you for doing what you're doing. If you were going to tell other people, potentially like me in a small leisure agency, I think you've got some experience here, about what you should do and the mistakes to avoid, what would they be? Uh, I'd say number one, like I said, you know, putting the people first. Uh, number two, uh, maybe it's because I grew up as an only child. I keep a lot of things to myself. And the more I shared with other people, the more I shared with Phil, the more I shared with you know, again, being vulnerable and being open, the more we created this this collective, but I don't know, maybe it was, again, because I was an only child, I kept things to myself and sharing how I've, the good, the bad, uh, that's been uh, a big deal. And like I said, you know, when we decided to sell the company, being very honest with everyone and just open and and vulnerable, we're, we're definitely different leaders than people were in the 50s. I don't think any CEOs in the 50s were talking about being vulnerable, you know? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that conversation even being something that would be thought about? It's incredible. We, we, we use a, um, an idea of that if it's in your head, you have to say it. So if, it, you know, if it's bothering you that, you know, I'm, whatever, you know, that there's something not quite right or I'm being a dick about something or, or whatever it might be, just, just say it because I don't know, right? And I'm not going to figure it out. I'm not going to learn unless you put it on the spot. It's right there. You've been a dick. Stop doing that. Fine. Got it. Understood. Right, right. And I, I'd say the, the other last thing, the, the mistake I made, and maybe this is just an entrepreneurial thing. As entrepreneurs, we run so fast, right? We don't take no for answer. We, we run through walls. If they tell us we can't get up, we, we figure out a way up. And I was just moving so fast, 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 fast. And I, I had, and again, maybe this is also a thing with age. 
I had to learn to slow down, to stop, to pause. I always thought slow is death, you know, but slow is, you know, uh, the way to do it. And just the pause, to take a breath, to listen, to go slow. That was, that was a tough thing for me. I was always just fast, go, 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 go. And so the ability to slow down, I'm still, still getting used to that. But that, I, I, it's amazing how much of a difference that made. It does, and, uh, and I find it extremely difficult to do that because I'm, I'm really frustrated. I want everything now. Um, I want the entire three-year plan to be delivered next month. So <laughs> I'm a nightmare. Um, but what we have done, and um, yeah, this, this is something I did in one of my very early businesses that I worked for, which was quite corporate, was we had a thing on Friday afternoons called Cracker Jack. And Cracker Jack was a, there were like four or 500 people in the, in the organization. And it was a celebration on a Friday afternoon at about half past three of all of the great things that had happened in the business that week. And, you know, you're just taking an, an hour and a half out of the time to go through and celebrate them. And it's really important. It's really good because all the little wins that you get, you know, you get a, you get into a second meeting with somebody or you get a, you know, get a further down the line of, negotiation and a contract you know when you when you share all of this stuff with everybody around you it brings everybody together as the team and that's that's what we need to do it is people first you're right <laughs> thank you thank you i'm sending a sending a hug through through the ether here to you to say thank you for your therapy one final question for you and it's a, it's a very selfish one because it's uh it, it's it's for me but um i'm meeting some folk at number 10 Downing Street uh, later this month, which annoyingly for me, I think it does mean that I have to shave. Um, but I'm talking to them about how to engage with a youthful audience and to make government relevant to the you know, to the younger public. Any tips? <laughs> wow, that's that's a great question. I mean, obviously, the, I mean, obviously, the youth of today we can see in in gaming and music and lifestyle, like you see, you know, they're so educated on what's happening, right? They're so educated on both sides, whether it's all the podcasts that are available, even, even so many influencers on TikTok, and we all make fun of TikTok, but there's some really, really good, useful influencers on TikTok. And I just think the young people are so much more aware of what's happening and they care about what's happening more than we did. I think when we were young, certainly we didn't, know have all the education they've got it all at their fingertips and so i think what our generation can do is listen to them and understand and obviously be honest and <clears throat> stuff to tell a, a politician to always be honest but i just think if, if they can see through the bullshit so much better than we could and it's about asking questions and, and being honest and also not always having the the right answer if you could see the when the, the US Congress interviewed, or not interviewed, grilled the CEO of TikTok, the types of questions they were asking him, I just, you know, face planted because I thought you 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 should have kids would ask much better questions than you're asking right now. So I don't think politicians have to have all the answers. I think they have to have the right questions and, and listen because the youth will sniff out BS way, way quicker than we were able to. I think you're right, and the the, the apologising for mistakes, I think, is something that we want to see because they are. If you don't acknowledge your mistakes, you you you, know, you kind of get into a really awkward position when you are blatantly wrong and lying in front of the public. You lose credibility straight away. So obviously, that's something that that needs to be corrected. But I, I think there's a 
I think that's something that needs to be done that is far simpler and far more basic than than uh, than is happening at the minute. And I think if you look at TikTok, the attention span that, that well, I'm going to say the kids are today, but I mean me as well, you know, just doom scrolling through things for entertainment. My attention span is limited. So if you're going to talk to me about something, you've got to do it in 20 seconds. And you can do it in 20 seconds. You know, there does not need to be a huge campaign about why it's important to vote. You can do this simple, fast, effectively. And I think that that might be the secret of engaging with the um, with, with the youth. Absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. Um, I really enjoyed that. I'm delighted that you are you're living your Jedi dream and that it's going so well. A second time around, in fact. So hold on, you're you're on the best film then at the minute. You're on Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I never thought about that. Okay. Uh oh. That now you're even making it's even more pressure that you're adding on. Okay. All right. <laughs> there we go, dude. Lovely to talk to you. I hope to see you in Germany in in a couple of months' time. But if not, if I ever am in LA, I'll stop by and say hi. Please do the same. And I think actually we we made a date last time we spoke about when when you come over. Hit us up. I'll buy you a pint at the Toucan where Jimi Hendrix gig was. That that would be amazing. And I'll send you the picture of me and my buddy, Mr. T, before then. I want that. I really do. <laughs> Thank you, Anson. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Let's Do the Right Thing in association with RadioWorks, the UK's largest independent radio advertising agency. Let's Do the Right Thing is a Maple Street creative production. Devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson.